You know, if we had all, if all we had of the book of Romans was the first several chapters, you would begin to think that maybe God's against us. Because it starts out, of course, it starts out declaring that Jesus, you know, uh, is declared to be the Son of God with power from the resurrection of the dead. And then you go to chapter, and then you start, get into chapter one, talks about the righteousness of God being re- revealed against all ungodliness, and then it begins a lengthy few chapters describing the real condition of man. And it's not nice and pretty. I mean, we are wicked, depraved, against God, unholy, unrighteous, you name it. And without excuse. And, you know, the... uh, uh, our Bible tells us in chapter 2 that our conscience accuses us. Of course, the Word of God uh, convicts us of our sin. And, and, and you know, Romans 3 concludes that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that even seeketh after God. They're all unrighteous. But, then you get to chapter 5, or chapter 4 tells us that Abraham was justified by faith, for he believed God. Chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So God's not against us. We're on His side. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so, then he continues on in this chapter, builds on that no condemnation, and kind of describes or brings to a height, you might say, what God has really secured for us. And Rory Lauren in his commentary said this, quote, Let this conviction settle into our, our thoughts, and we become unconquerable. God is for us in our weakness. God is for us in our sickness. God is for us in our moment of depression. When we doubt, God is for us. When we fail, God is for us. Or when we fall, I'm sorry, God is for us. When we fail, God is for us. There's no time, no place, and no condition which God is not for us. Let us take courage in this conviction and press on to conspicuous living and serving. Let us allow no thought to disarm us and defeat us because prevailing attitude of God toward us is that He is for us, unquote. And he says here in verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? The word against us, the phrase against us, has the idea of denoting motion or diffusion or direction from a higher form to a lower. Or who can oppose or who can put down or be down upon us. Who can put us down to a lower position than what we have in Christ? Who can? If we understand that it's God that's placed us in this position we have in Him, in fact, Ephesians 2.6 says, we are seated in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So if there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, so he's put us in this place of where we are uncondemned. We can't be condemned. So then who is it? If God has put us there, who can be against us? Who can put us down? You 
you know, through the gift of salvation through Christ, through trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been raised to the highest position possible. Do you realize it's higher than the angels? In fact, Hebrews 1.14 says they are ministering spirits unto the heirs of salvation. And Peter tells us, in the, I think it's 1 Peter 1, the angels desire to look into what we have. They don't have what we have. They have an interest in it, and they desire to look into it. In fact, Ephesians 3 tells us that the church can instruct the angels. The manifold wisdom of God is known by the church to the principalities and powers. In other words, the angels are learning things about what we have from New Testament churches. So we have this very elevated position in Christ, and it's God that has put us there. So again, I ask the question, if God has put us there, who can be against us? You think about it. We are called the children of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Of course, that phrase is used in in 1 John 3 also. And again in verse 21, Because the creature itself also should be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Matthew 13, 38, the Bible there refers us to us as children of the kingdom. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, children of light. Romans 1, 7, beloved of God. You know, in the Old Testament, there's only several characters in the Old Testament that I can think of that were called beloved of God. Daniel. Daniel was called beloved of God. Joseph was called beloved of God. And Solomon in his early years was called beloved. That, the name Jedediah that was given to him meant beloved of God. There's only a few people that it's really referred to in the Old Testament that way. But the Bible says that we New Testament saints are beloved of God. Revelation 20 verse 6 calls us priests of God. And Revelation 1 6 says we've been raised up to be kings and priests unto God and His Christ. 61 times in the New Testament we're referred to as saints. That means, the word saint means holy ones. Again, speaks of what we have in Christ. We've been made holy. So we should not live under a cloud of dismal defeat. Now, you know, it's easy to get caught up in things that are going on in the world and feel defeated, but we know how the end's coming out. We know how this war is going to end. We're in a, you know, picture it as in a, you know, this war has been going on since the Garden of Eden. That's when the war started, when Satan tempted Eve to take that forbidden fruit and give it to her husband. The war was on. And it's been going on ever since. It's never stopped. There's been lots of battles throughout the ages. The war is still going on. And the reason it's still going on is because God's giving man time to repent. But we know how the end's coming out. And so, we are justified. We are saints. We have a place, an elevated position with God. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. 
preacher friend of mine used to say, my head's in heaven. You can't kill me. And so who, if God be for us, who shall be against us? Notice the second thing it says, will he not give us the things that we need? And notice verse 32, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now, I think he's thinking, he's talking here of things that pertain, that we need pertaining to our salvation. He, give, he has given us everything that we need. He's already given us the ultimate, the greatest gift he can possibly give. That is salvation. His son died in our place to redeem us from our sins. Why would he withhold from us things that we need? Now, you know, if you ask different people, you're going to get different ideas of what needs are. Ephesians 1.3 says we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does it mean, blessings in heavenly places? Well, if you read on in that passage, you know, usually the Bible interprets itself if you keep reading. And if you read on that passage, it says in verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. So he's made us holy. We are made holy in Christ. That is, we have the the nature, the divine nature of God imputed to us. So we've been made right in the sight of God. We are holy as He is because He sees us in the righteousness of Christ. We have been made right. Even though we live in a, a body of flesh, a body of sin, we have been made right. We are without blame, it says, before Him in love. And that says He's predestinated us under the adoption of children. Predestination has the idea he's predetermined. The adoption has to do with the redemption of the body. You read Romans chapter 8, verses, I think it's verses 21 through 24, somewhere in there. It talks about the, the adoption, the redemption of the body. So that redemption refers to when we are going to be placed into a glorified body. We're going to shed this old, this old vile body. It's going to be changed like unto his glorious body. And that's, we call that the redemption of the body. You should be the, the spirit and soul have already been redeemed, but the body hasn't. That won't be redeemed until either Jesus comes for us in the air or we go home through the avenue of death as a child of God. But He's going to give us a new body. So we've been predestinated. And He says also in verse 6, to the praise of His glory, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. So we are, we are, we've been made holy, we've we promised the redemption of the body. We've been accepted into the beloved, into the, into the body of Christ. We've been accepted. Made acceptable to God. Do you ever hear parents say something about a child that they wish they wouldn't have had that one? You know, that's an awful thing to say. Do you know God will never say that? He will never say that. He will never say to you, I wish you were never going to say it. You know, I've heard parents say, well, they was, they was a mistake. I heard a man say one time, well, until he came along. I wanted to smack. 
you know, God would never say anything like that. In fact, go to, uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> and, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 7. Matthew 7. And verse 7 it says, Ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or, what man is there of you, whom his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? So if, if your son comes along and says, Dad, could I have something to eat? He's hungry. Would you give him a stone? That'd be that'd be mocking or in derision or you know if he asked for a fish, you give him a serpent, something that could hurt him. And he says, you know, a man wouldn't even do that to a son. And then he says this: If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask? See, God will give us everything, has given us everything that we need. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter 1, I think it's verse 4, He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now, I am thoroughly convinced that we have everything that we need pertaining to life's problems right here in this book. We don't need to go to the world seeking their advice. You know what the world does when you go to their advice, seeking their advice? They put band-aids on it. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. So like our government does to keep kicking the problems down the road, you know? Like the stimulus things, you know, that's just kicking the can down the road. Let's deal with the problem. No, see, God's solutions is let's deal with the problem. And he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge. And then he tells us that we're given all these promises, obtain everything we need for an active, vigorous life, confirmed or being made in divine likeness as he's provided this word. And we're to add to those things. We're to start building our life then upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And as we study the word of God, we're to strengthen ourselves in our walk with the Lord. We're to grow. Being, being, coming more Christ-like. And the principle is the same as, you know, you uh, pick up the silverware and you stick your fork into a chunk of meat and you put it to your mouth. If you want to grow or maintain your health, you have to eat. And, you know, you don't want to eat unhealthy stuff for good health maintenance. Neither do we want to go to the world's garbage can to seek answers to life problems. It's like being on a consistent diet of potato chips and soda pop. It'll lead you to a, 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 a very rapid death. <laughs> 
No, you put the food in your mouth, you chew it, and the digestive system will use it to meet the needs of your body. You see, we must be diligent that, that the idea of interest oneself most earnestly in studying the Word of God so that our life can be like a fruitful tree that's planted by the rivers of water, vibrant, flourishing. You know, the problem is we don't want to meditate day and night in the Word of God. Ephesians 5.8, Paul told the church at Ephesus, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. First lesson in five sides, five, he said, Ye are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. You in Ephesians uh, 1, 17 through 19, he, he there's some verses there that I, I really like, where it says some of my favorite verses, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And it's in the knowledge of him, and where we learn of him is in the Bible. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the word of God will enlighten you. The word is a lamp on our feet and light into our path. That ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the work of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So, you know, we learn these things and our faith is increased and we tap into the power of God as we spend time in the Word of God and digest the Word of God and apply it to life. Just like you take food and put it in your mouth for your health and the maintenance of your body. Somebody said the evidence, quote, the evidence that he will give us all things present and future is in the exhibition of his love for us. God manifested his love for us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. What was true of the past is the measure of the present. What God has already done, he will continue to do. After all, he doesn't change. He doesn't change. So when you read your Bible and you read about what God did for Abraham back in Genesis, there's a lot of people who think, yeah, but that was in the Old Testament. And God did miracles back then. And how Daniel was protected from the lions. I read here not long ago about John Payton missionary to the South Pacific Cannibal Islands. Now one night, the people of the island gathered around his house with torches and swords and all kinds of things and were threatening to burn his him and his wife uh, 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 you know, in the house down. And they just prayed and prayed and prayed. In the morning, they were all gone. Later, the chief got saved. And he asked the chief, why did you burn our house down? Oh, he said, you were protected. By flaming swords. Sometimes we just don't know. You know, the Bible says that his angels are ministering spirits. They're like flaming swords. 
God will continue. You see, what God did in the past, he can do in the present. You know, it's just so often we say, well, it just happened, or it's just circumstance. And we fail to give God credit for protecting us. He also asks, who shall charge God's children as guilty? Notice verse 33. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give any give us all things, uh, verse 33, I'm sorry, verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. So who's going to come forward and accuse or lay a charge against us? Well, we know the world does. The world does. They, they you know, and Satan is, the Bible says that, that we have an accuser, we have an adversary, the enemy has a roaring lion walking about whom he may devour, and Revelation 12 tells us he's the accuser of the brethren. He accused Job before God, and he still accuses us before God. And he plants little thoughts sometimes in our minds that, that we are helpless and hopeless because sometimes we fail to please the Lord. And you know what the devil likes to do? Say, see, you can't really serve God. You can't serve But we have been declared righteous by the judge of heaven and earth who changes not. In Numbers 23, verse 1, interesting who said this, Balaam said it, God is not a man that he should repent. Neither the son of man that he should, I'm sorry, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. He has Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now Balaam, Balak, were looking at the children of Israel. Now, God had made a promise to the children of Israel. Now let me ask you a question. Were they, would we say they were very righteous, sinless people? Uh, no. But God made a promise to them. I'm going to take you into the Canaan land. These are my people. I'm going to take you in there. Balak wants to destroy them, and Balaam's trying to find a way for God to agree with him to curse them. But God reminds him, look, Gabriel, I'm not a man that I should lie. I'm not the son of man that I repent. I'm not going to change my mind. Have I not said it, and will I not do it? See, when God says, thou art justified, thou art justified. And when God says, that we are uncondemned, you are uncondemned. You cannot be condemned to hell. You can't be declared guilty when you've been declared righteous. When you've been set free from the, 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 the charges against you, you can't be held for the same charges again. 1 Samuel 15.29 Samuel told Saul, Also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. 
Malachi 3, 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Though God, the, though the children of Israel had turned away from him, God them, from him, God had made a promise to Israel that they would one day rule and reign in, you know, Jesus would rule and reign over the nation of Israel in Jerusalem, and he said, I'm not going to destroy you because of that. I made a promise to you. It cannot be changed. Do you know what I know? I know one thing for certain. I know a few things for certain, but there's one thing I know about Israel. As much as the Arabs for years have wanted to wipe Israel off the map, it is never going. Because God said, I'm the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The only reason the Arabs haven't driven the Israelites into the sea is because God's covenant with Israel. My wife and I watched a, it's like a documentary on the Six Day War. It was really a war of tanks between Israel and Egypt. And Israel was out. They had Egypt had more tanks, they had more men, they had more air power, they had more of everything. And in six days, Israel cleaned their clock. Six days. See, I don't care how many Arab nations or nations of the world get together and try to destroy Israel, it is not going to happen. Not going to happen. Why? Because God keeps his promises. And those promises that he has made to us, he is going to keep also. Verse 26 says, He helpeth our infirmities. You know, it kind of reminds me when, when it says, Who can be against us or who can charge us? It kind of reminds me of the story in Esther when King Ahasuerus answered Esther and said, Who is he? And where is he? that there's presume in his heart to do so. In other words, to put your people to death. Who dares do that? You know, we have an adversary that dares to try. The old serpent, the devil. But we also have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so, he declares us not guilty. Not guilty. One of these days, he's going to take that old serpent and cast him into the lake of fire. So who is who? Who can condemn us? Verse thirty-four. Who is who is worthy, or who has power? You know, you can be criticized. The world may condemn us. They may hate us and mock us and make fun of us. You know, and and criticize, and it may be friend or foe. But the judge of all the earth has already passed sentence when he says, Who is he that condemneth first war? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We have this advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The judge of all the earth has already passed his sentence. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So who shall separate us? That's the next question he asks. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he gives a list of things. Tribulation, stress. We learned a few weeks ago that tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, negativeness, all those things. 
that people down through the centuries have endured all those things and not denied their Lord. Job lost everything that he had, then lost his health. Everything that a man could lose, he lost. And yet, he sinned not. He did not deny his Lord. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Paul was left in prison. He talked about suffering. The Bible here talks about nakedness or peril. This meant a lack of clothes simply because one had no ways or means of getting them. And Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, says, The cloak I left at Troas with Carpus bring with thee. Why do you need a cloak? Well, I'm sure they didn't have heated prisons back then. You know, prisons today, at least here in this country, are like holiday inns. Because he was cold. Prison garments weren't sufficient. In fact, you got garments, it's because people brought them to you. And so all these things. And he says, and he uses a hyperbole here in verse 36 where it says, As is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. It's to be in a state of one who is being put to death continually. You know, the world is out to, to get rid of us continually. That's escalating in our world. And we are, of course, to die every day to self. We're not to live out of the flesh, but after the Spirit. And, and of course, the Bible tells us in Acts 14.22 that we, through, must, uh, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Paul spoke of always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest uh, in our body. And Peter says we are accounted for sheep to slaughter, but we are more than conquerors. You see, death cannot, even death, sword, peril, nakedness, all these things, cannot separate us from God. In fact, what did Paul say? We live as Christ, but to die is gain. See, death for a child of God is simply the vehicle that translates, translates us from this cursed earth to heaven. It can't separate us from God. It can't separate us from the love of Christ. It's told that you know, John R. Rice in his early days was preaching pretty hard against the liquor crowd. He did a lot of uh, airy wides and things like that, and had there was great revivals in those days in America, and and he he preached a lot against liquor, and the liquor industry was getting a little tired of it, so they picked him up one day, took him for a ride, and threatened him, and he said, "You can't threaten me with death." And they didn't want to do it. So they let him go. Well, see, death for a child of God 
just means we leave this toil of this life and go to be with the Lord where there are pleasures forevermore. So life's trials need not undo us. He helpeth our infirmities. He under, intercedes for us at, 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 at times we need. Uh, you know, and so whether these things come upon us, trials of today, anxieties about the future, height or things elevated of space, barrier, or extreme poverty, none of these things can change our relationship and our position in Christ. We are children of God through faith in the Son of God who has conquered death for us and has given us power, that is the authority, to become the sons of God, joint heirs with Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So we are more than conquerors through Him. And no matter what happens, we cannot be separated from Him. Psalm 46 was, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried away in the midst of the sea. You know, it don't matter if the earth is removed or we are removed from it. Or the mountains are carried away. You know, Peter tells us that the heaven and earth, as its presence is going to be destroyed by fire. And he goes on and says, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. You know, I kind of think that, you know, often mountains speaks of strongholds, earthly strongholds, like the great whore, Revelation 17, sitteth upon seven mountains. That's Rome, by the way, the Roman Catholic Church. I think it's identified very easily in Romans, uh, Revelation 17. So it speaks of a, that, that speaks of a demonic stronghold. It's called the, the great whore. And he says that though they be, though they be, the, the kingdoms of this world be shaken, God is still our help. He's our present help. Verse 4 says, God is in the midst of her. Speaking out, the city of God. She shall not be removed. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen rage. You know, we see the heathen raging today. Kingdoms removed. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. With us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He's our shelter in a time of storm. You know, when the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they were, they had no defense of weapons. They had really no means of defending themselves. And he sent them out into a wilderness, a desert place. And what did he do for them? They had a cloud by day that covered them. When the Egyptians came after them, that cloud went between them and the Egyptians. There was a fire by night to give them light. Psalm 121 says, He that keepeth thee will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. You see, no matter what happens in this world, what God has secured for us cannot be unsecured. 
if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We are the children of God. And He is the one that keeps us. Peter tells us that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. So we need to trust Him. This conviction that we belong to God and who? Who can undo that? Who can be against us? 